0: We now face what the World Health Organization has declared a global pandemic. The coronavirus outbreak has grown here in the United States, with new cases reported daily, deaths now more than three dozen, and an expanding list of large-scale cancellations of everything from the NBA to Broadway. In response, the Trump administration has taken various steps to limit the spread of the virus and help a suffering economy. But those steps? haven't always gone so well. The administration was initially slow to take the virus seriously. The U.S. has found itself without an adequate number of tests available. At times, messages out of the White House conflicted with experts and with the CDC. And there's been a lack of centralized guidance around social distancing and other potential public health measures that can help contain the virus. In light of some of these issues, President Trump addressed the nation from the Oval Office on Wednesday night.
1: Tonight, I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak. That
0: the president in China signaled the seriousness of this growing crisis and proposed new ways to curb it, among them a 30-day ban on flights from most of Europe.
1: We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight.
0: And yet, despite this speech, many questions still surround the administration's handling of this public health crisis. Why has testing for the virus gone so poorly in the U.S.? Will the president's travel restrictions actually work to slow the spread of the virus? And what other solutions or measures could be taken that we haven't seen action on yet? This is Can He Do That?, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Alison Michaels. The Post's health policy reporter, Abu Talib spoke to me from a safe distance at her home over the phone about some of the problems we've seen in the response so far and some of the measures we may see in the coming weeks. Let's start with testing. The pace to test coronavirus cases had been much slower to start in the U.S. than than the pace in other countries. Why did the U.S. start testing at this slow pace?
1: The U.S. in the beginning relied pretty heavily on travel restrictions to um, try to contain the virus and try to prevent cases from coming here. So the U.S. was screening in airports, trying to detect cases that way. But the CDC decided to make its own test as opposed to using the test the rest of the world was relying on because it would have had to go through a whole sort of approval process through the FDA. So they had to wait till they got a sequence of the virus, and then they made the test and got it up and running pretty quickly from there. But it took until about the first week of February until the U.S. had its own test to use.
0: And initially, early in the outbreak, the CDC sent out faulty kits. How did that happen? What was the cause of that?
1: So the CDC says there was a manufacturing issue with its test kits. What happened was they started sending the kits out to some state labs in the first week of February. And within a few days, some labs were reporting back that the tests weren't working properly, that they were getting inconclusive results. And the CDC has since said it it came down to a manufacturing issue, that one of the components of the test was not working properly.
0: So we had this slow start to actually getting the appropriate number of tests, and that battle sort of continues now. But there was this other piece of it, which is that guidelines for who should be tested in the U.S. were initially limited. That's since changed. They're broader now. But can you explain that evolution?
1: Sure. So in the beginning, you had a pretty strict criteria for who could get tested. So it had to be that you had recent travel to China, or you had to have come into contact with a confirmed case of coronavirus if you had symptoms or anything else like that, or, you know, you, you couldn't be tested if you didn't meet those two very stringent criteria. So what experts say now is that you you might have missed earlier cases of the virus spreading within communities with such strict criteria, because if you're only testing people who recently traveled to China, or you're only testing people who came into a known case of coronavirus, then you can possibly miss a community transmission as it's starting.
0: So why did it take so long for the guidelines to open up for who could be tested?
1: That is a question we're still trying to find the answer to.
0: <laughs> At the end of last week, Vice President Pence said that any American could be tested with doctor's orders, and Trump sort of repeated that, saying anyone who needs a test gets a test. Has that been true?
1: No, those claims are, are not true. It is not the case that anyone who wants a test can get a test, nor is it what the government's own public health officials are recommending younger, healthier people who don't have underlying conditions who might have mild symptoms have actually been urged to just stay home and and to not spread whatever it is they may have that way, but not to clog up the health system. And the health officials have made it clear that not every single person needs a test. So the idea that anyone who wants a test can get a test is not true. The U.S. also doesn't have enough testing kits or enough lab capacity to do that sort of wide scale testing, there still is criteria for who gets tested. It's just broader than what it was a couple weeks ago.
0: So then what happens to individual facilities that don't have test kits at that point? What do they do if they suspect a patient has a virus?
1: So we've heard cases and reported some cases of people who went and wanted to get a test because they were coughing or had a fever or maybe had upper respiratory symptoms. But the hospital they went to or their doctor's office didn't have a test kit, so they were told, You may have it, you may not have it, but go home and self-isolate essentially.
0: From your reporting, had we begun properly testing earlier, would the U.S. now be better positioned today to combat this outbreak in any way?
1: I think there was a false sense of security in the first Few weeks when the U.S. was was combating this outbreak, a lot of former and current administration officials that we talked to say that the government was just too confident in the beginning, saying we only have 15 cases, we only have 15 cases, or, or whatever it was at the time, and they always said we expect it to go up, but. Now there's been a study in Seattle that shows the virus was probably spreading for several weeks before officials detected it. So I don't think there was a way to sort of stop the transmission of the virus. I think it's pretty clear by the way it behaves that there was always going to be widespread spread of the virus. But I think officials would have had a clearer idea earlier of how it was spreading and how quickly it was spreading and which communities it was making its way through, as opposed to being caught kind of flat-footed when the cases suddenly started going up pretty rapidly.
0: And is it possible that the testing delays then delayed other things, like providing money and protective equipment to hospitals, things like that?
1: I think so. I think hospitals, because of some of the messages coming from the government and from the president early on, didn't adequately prepare or didn't know to adequately prepare to make sure that they had the resources and the protocols in place to deal with the large influx of patients or to make sure they knew exactly how to treat suspected cases of the virus. That's something we've heard from experts and and from various current and former administration officials.
0: Now, I want to back up just a little bit to the bigger picture here. In several annual budget proposals in years past, the Trump administration had proposed cutting the CDC budget. Now, of course, Congress makes these funding decisions ultimately, but the CDC, had it been deprived of funding in the lead up to this outbreak?
1: So the administration had proposed pretty drastic cuts in what the annual presidential budgets to the C D C but those were mostly ignored by Congress. But even the C D C Director Robert Redfield when he was on Capitol Hill on Wednesday said there's been sort of systemic cuts to local, state and federal public health that have left left us less prepared for something like this. It's not just the CDC, it's local and state health departments. At the state level, you see pretty sustained cuts to public health because it's one of those things that you don't know that you need it until you need it. And until then, preparedness and and things that feel more theoretical and abstract don't feel as necessary. And I think you've seen that play out on the federal level as well.
0: Yeah, I think another reporter I had spoken to framed it like nobody wants to fund a public health, the potential of a public health crisis. It's not particularly sexy. (laughs) So Exactly. It's caused some problems in the past. So so then, generally speaking, what, if anything, about the president's approach and attitude toward this crisis has made it difficult for the CDC and other public health officials to, to do their jobs?
1: You know, messaging is a really important part of something like this. I know it sounds simple, but actually, messaging plays a huge role in making sure that people know how to prepare and what to expect. Now we're seeing widespread disruptions to people's daily lives, hospitals and health departments drastically trying to make sure that they've got everything in place. But so what we've heard from a lot of experts and even some people in the administration is that the president's statements for quite some time and that are sort of continuing. I mean, it's, it's, it's moderated a bit, but it's still happening, that the U.S. has it under control. It's not a big deal the sort of emphasis on the low number of cases for so long didn't allow people to prepare for what was inevitably going to happen. And there were a lot of people who were sounding the alarm pretty early, given how this was spreading in China and how quickly it was starting to spread in other countries. But that the messaging from the president and from other top health officials who sort of tried to insist it's contained, we have it under control, it's not a big deal, made people unprepared for for what we're facing now.
0: The things that you've enumerated here, things like testing failures, messaging, failure to fund local health departments in the right ways, these are sort of the problems we've seen prior to Trump's speech this week where he addressed the nation about coronavirus. Let's pivot to talk about some solutions, both things that have already happened and then the things Trump proposed on Wednesday night. Trump signed an aid package from Congress of $8.3 billion to combat this virus. What does that money go toward? and, And is it really enough money to contain this?
1: I think the the eight point three billion figure was was pretty widely heralded, and and of course, I, I think as things develop, Congress seems pretty willing to appropriate more money as needed, and they're talking about economic relief measures as well. So that money, a lot of it will go towards the development of a vaccine, um, which will take about a year at best before. It can be used and and people are able to have access to that vaccine. It, It could likely take longer than that. But a billion or a little more than that is going to go towards development of vaccine. A lot of the money is going to go towards state health departments, making sure that they have the money and resources that they need to deal with this on a local level. You've got money for the development of therapeutics and diagnostics because there is no treatment for this virus right now. So working with various private companies and trying to figure out what drugs may or may not work and and developing some drugs that could help treat this. So those are some of the big ticket items in that package.
0: So those things were already in motion when Trump addressed the nation on Wednesday night. He he announced some other things in his speech as proposed solutions or proposed ways to mitigate this outbreak. He announced a ban on all flights from Europe, though the details of the ban have been a little bit unclear. Can you explain the specifics of what Trump is banning?
1: So Trump later clarified that he was restricting the movement of people, but not of goods and trade. So this doesn't apply to trade between the U.S. and Europe. It applies to non-U.S. citizens and non-legal permanent residents coming from Europe to the United States. We still don't know a lot about the specifics of how this is going to work or what's going to happen to various flights. But what we know so far is that there is this ban on travel from Europe, but U.S citizens and legal permanent residents should be able to get back. And I think there there was some provision about making sure that people have proper screening before they come back into the country. So how
0: effective might this be in stopping the virus from spreading in the U.S., banning all these flights, given that the virus is already here?
1: Right. I think a lot of experts are saying this is too little, too late. Travel restrictions are okay early on before you have cases of the virus to sort of buy yourself a bit more time to prepare. But with a virus like this, there is no stopping it from getting into the country and spreading. And we've seen that around the world. And it is pretty late in the game, given that there's sustained community transmission in the U.S. to be imposing more travel restrictions. And I've spoken to people who say this is a waste of time and resources to keep doing travel bans. The focus and, and all the energy and resources of the U.S. government should go towards making sure hospitals are prepared and the health system is prepared, that the various private companies engage in this response. Have what they need to make sure the U.S. can can handle the patients that's inevitably going to see as a result of this outbreak. I don't. I, I think a lot of people are skeptical that that travel bans at this point are really going to do anything to slow or stop the spread of the virus.
0: So, on the point of private companies, Trump also said that health insurance companies have agreed to waive all copays for coronavirus treatments. What does that look like in practice? Especially if there aren't enough tests to confirm a coronavirus diagnosis, who confirms to have fees waived? How, how does it work?
1: So the president misspoke a bit on that the health insurance industry came out shortly afterwards and said we agreed to waive the costs on tests not on treatments which is a a big difference if someone has to go to the ICU for treatment of symptoms of coronavirus or what they might think is coronavirus, those fees are not waived. And that can still be thousands or tens of thousands of dollars if you end up in an emergency room or an ICU for treatment. So I think that's an important distinction to make. What we saw before was that health insurance companies sort of one by one, and then they came out this week and, and stated it after they met with the president and the vice president, is that they will waive copays and deductibles and cost sharing associated with coronavirus tests. But that does not apply to treatment of symptoms of coronavirus or if you end up in the hospital because of the virus.
0: So then aside from from public health, Trump also proposed some solutions in his speech to help the faltering economy. He said he would instruct the Small Business Administration to provide loans to small businesses to overcome economic disruptions. He said he would defer tax payments for certain businesses. He would provide payroll tax relief. To be clear, are all these things happening imminently, or or does this also require an approval or funding process from Congress?
1: A lot of these measures are going to require Congress's agreement and approval. So we've seen members of Congress on a bipartisan basis discussing and debating various economic relief measures. I'm not sure how much support the idea of a payroll tax cut has, and there's some confusion about how exactly it would work and how much it would cost. We do see growing bipartisan support for things like paid sick leave and and making sure that workers aren't punished for having to take time off or work remotely or whatever it may be because of the coronavirus and and waiving certain costs associated with testing and, and treatment. But in terms of some of the measures the president outlined, I think a lot of them are aspirational, but we'll have to see what his administration is able to do on its own and then if they're able to bring Congress on board for some of the measures where you need congressional authority to do that.
0: Are there other steps the administration is considering at this point that we haven't mentioned to actually combat the spread of this disease, not just repair the economy, but but combat the spread and ensure proper treatment options are available?
1: Well, I think the big ongoing thing is you've seen administration officials urge social distancing and you've seen states and various organizations follow suit. We've seen a lot of big concerts, and even the NBA suspending its season indefinitely because one of the players tested positive for coronavirus. I mean, you're seeing pretty drastic actions taken trying to slow the spread of this. And Trump sort of urged that in his speech. And his health officials and testimony on Capitol Hill or in public appearances have, have really pushed this idea of social distancing.
0: What else could his administration be doing that we don't see them yet doing? For example, things that other countries have done that we're not yet doing.
1: I think there's a lot of questions about gaps in the U.S. health system and what measures will be put in place or what protocols are being discussed to make sure hospitals are prepared for the influx of patients, that they have enough bed space, they have enough resources, they have the equipment they need. Um, So the administration could be providing guidance on how hospitals um, should be preparing for this, what they should have in place, should they or should they not stop, non-elective procedures, that sort of thing. We know some of it is happening behind the scenes. But I think we'll be looking to see if there's a bit more public guidance on how the health system can prepare and what the administration might do to address the gaps that people already know exist.
0: Part of the reason why I and others have so many questions is because there seems to be a lack of a centralized place to look toward for guidance in all of this. Companies and individuals really seem to just be making decisions on their own based on the information that they consume. So so based on your reporting, do we have a sense of what's driving that? Why is there no centralized place disseminating information and instructions about things like school closures or specific social distancing guidelines or even hygienic things? Why are we not really seeing that?
1: There has been some frustration that the federal government hasn't centralized some of this information, but that is really resource intensive. People are still sort of figuring things out as we go. Um, so a lot of this is it's a fast moving situation. Officials are trying to adapt and understand the situation as it evolves. I don't know if we'll eventually see a central repository of all that. But I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it's it's state and local decisions as to what gets canceled and what's still happening or not happening. So it is a bit outside the scope of the federal government to to put things like school closures all in, in one place.
0: As we've talked about this, we've outlined some positive steps that the U.S. has taken to help contain this virus and help the economy. We've also outlined some systemic failures in how the U.S. responded to this outbreak. How many of these failures go to the top of the ladder? Like, which of these pieces can be attributed to shortcomings in the administration's actions?
1: A lot of people are saying the administration, and and we wrote about this, failed to make the most Of the time it had to prepare for this outbreak that it had to know was coming, given how it was playing out in China and across the world, that there was so much focus on travel restrictions. And some people viewed that as a solution rather than as a way to buy time, that there was an unwillingness by Trump and by some of his advisors to take this seriously in the earlier days before it came to the U.S. in such such large numbers. So there has been some time that was squandered and some time that uh, experts and former and current administration officials feel they didn't make the most of. So that's that's a big part of why, in some ways, the government seems to be, have been caught flat-footed by how quickly the case count went up and by how many disruptions we're seeing to, to daily life. So I think that's a big part of it. Some of it is just that this is a difficult virus to contain. It moves quickly. It's hard to understand. It's new. So a lot of it we're learning as we go. So that obviously poses a a unique set of challenges. But there are a lot of people who say there are several things that the administration should have been doing in the earlier days, not been overconfident that the case count was so low um, and, and been planning three or four steps ahead while sort of dealing with the situation in front of them.
0: All right, Yasmeen, thank you so much for your time. I hope you stay safe and healthy out there. Thank you. You too. Thanks so much. Want to keep up with news about coronavirus? The Post has a new pop-up newsletter to keep you updated. The newsletter features vital reporting, FAQs, and updating maps showing affected areas. And any article featured in the newsletter is completely free to access, as long as you click from email. To sign up, go to WashingtonPost.com virusnewsletter virus newsletter. That's WashingtonPost.com virusnewsletter virus newsletter. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the invaluable Carol Alderman, with help from Ariel Plotnick, design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it.